Underdog Fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy football. Draft your team with no in-season management. Get the optimal score each week of the season and have a shot at over $10 million in total prize money in their Best Ball Mania 3 contest. Head on over to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, sign up with promo code FSE, and Underdog is going to match your first deposit up to $100. Again, Underdog Fantasy. Sign up with promo code FSE and draft your Best Ball Mania 3 team today. What's happening, y'all? Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Danny and Bush coming at you today with another episode of Dynasty 101. Last week, I covered how to build a contender in a startup draft. Today, we're going to be talking about the opposite side of the spectrum, which is how we can build a rebuilding team, a productive struggle, a one-year tank. This, we believe, and you guys would have seen this in the title of the video, is the best strategy to deploy in startup drafts this offseason. Sorry to clickbait you a little bit, but we will go in depth of why we believe that is the best strategy. So if you guys enjoy this video at any point, as always, hit the like button. It really helps us out. Comment any of your thoughts down below. Subscribe to the channel if you are new as well. But Danny, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well. And I'm glad that you kind of prefaced this with the fact that we do believe this is the optimal strategy. We are under the influence. We are under the you know frame of mind that in Dynasty Fantasy Football, the thresholds for a dominant team are way higher than those of a redraft team. So a redraft league team isn't really going to be that top contender in a dynasty comparatively to the rest of your league. The way you mil- build those monsters, the way you build those you know dynasties, if you will, is being able to accumulate as much assets, as much value as possible. And the way to do that is to go with a productive struggle to start off with your draft. So I'm doing well. I'm ready to roll. Getting into the six factors as always. If you guys enjoy content like this, hit that like button and subscribe down the low, down below. Currently on the road to 11,000 subscribers, just about 200 off. So see if we can hit it this week. Yeah, exactly. So like Danny said, we're going to go over six rules like we did in the contenders video. If you guys are more apt to, to build a productive struggle, this is the video for you. But before we delay it anymore, let's hit the intro. Okay, so like we did in the contenders video, uh, we're going to talk about three macro base factors. So these are just general philosophies, general heuristics, general principles to follow when you're building a productive struggle, when you're building a rebuilder within your startup. And these would apply to any season, right? This could You could watch this video two to three years from now, and it would still apply. The three rules about the micro base factors would be specific to this offseason, why we're doing it this year, and why we think it's the most optimal strategy this year. So rule number one, and these are both kind of two separate rules, but we kind of lump them together is one number uh, or number one, maintain flexibility as long as possible, which I talked about in the contenders video as well, and also understand your league market. So like I said, in the contenders video, you don't want to enter a draft with a locked in strategy in mind. You don't want to go, I'm going to build a productive struggle. I'm going to contend. You want to have an idea of maybe what direction you're going into. And that comes with understanding your league market. This is always the first step. If you have to, Make a list of everything you know about your league market, everything you know about your league mates. Maybe these are your lifelong redraft buddies, your college friends, your high school friends, whatever, and you're doing a a dynasty startup for them. 
all of you guys have never played in a dynasty league this uh, in in your lives before, you can write that down. Maybe you've played in a league with three or four of these guys that are in the league with you. You can write down some of their tendencies. You can write down who the, everyone's favorite team is. You can write down whose content do they follow. Maybe you guys met in a Discord like ours or like you know another channels or something like that. So based on that league dynamic that you establish, let's say you've documented that it's your first time doing a dynasty startup and everybody's first time doing a dynasty startup because these are your redraft buddies. You conclude that this might be the optimal time to start trying a productive struggle because not everybody is going to value draft picks very highly or, and everyone's going to lean towards those more redraft assets. Yeah, exactly. Understanding where your league is at in terms of what influences them, whether it's a content standpoint, whether it's a you know a standing standpoint, you know that these are your redraft buddies, et cetera. You know that they're going to want to win, prioritize production over value long term. You can take advantage of that. Again, as we always say on this channel, we're not here to outsmart the market. We're here to take advantage of an inefficient market. If your league market is very, very redraft central, guess what? This rebuild is going to go by a lot more swiftly. If you are in the fourth round of the draft and, you know, somebody's staring down Tyreek Hill, you know for a fact that somebody's going to be willing to overpay for that pick. Somebody's going to be willing to overpay for that production right off the bat. And you could probably get a higher net package for that pick and those kind of markets, et cetera. So understanding that coming in, understanding that inherent ability to maneuver, be flexible on the clock while still gaining as much value as possible. As Corey said, your main priority, if you're going into it with a productive struggle is gaining value and gaining value and gaining value. Cause ultimately, as I said, you want to be able to create a monster within a few years. Right. And the thing that differs, I would say from a rebuilder or productive struggle off the bat in the startup is that you'll probably have to make the decision sooner than you would yes. in a contender. So you can build either a contender or a balanced team and maintain flexibility through four or five rounds of the draft versus when you're trying to really tear it down. You're one tank, you know, go for a full rebuild, collect seven first round picks or something in the startup. You got to make that decision pretty fast. Maybe even at your first overall pick or your, you know, wherever you pick in the first round, you might have to make that decision right away. So you will have to make that decision. I would say at least by round three or so during the rebuild, because the clock will be ticking on how much longer you're going to be able to get first round capital for, for some of the picks that you're on the clock with, because you could be like five rounds into a draft and be like, all right, I'm ready to start selling my picks for, for, for future first. But you Nobody's know, if the players on the board at the time are not warranting future first or warranting people moving up using future first, then it's a little bit harder to do that. So you do have to probably make that decision a little bit faster, but if you can maintain flexibility for a round, two rounds, then that does give you a better idea of how your league market will behave. For sure. And we'll, we'll get into, you know, the, the, the semantics of it later on uh, in terms of, as you kind of mentioned, the trade down and what you should be looking for in a trade down. But overall, I would say your your priority is value. Your priority is collecting assets. Your priority is ultimately increasing your ceiling range of outcome, which I mean, yes, having a second round startup pick is going to be very, very nice to you. But at the end of the day here, you don't need that type of production. If you can turn that and flip that into appreciability, into liquidity, that should be your number one priority. Yeah. And that kind of transitions what you just talked about into rule number two, which I believe is the most important rule yes. when it comes to building a rebuilding team. And that rule is that you don't have players, you have assets. And how you want to think of your team. I mean, we're the fantasy stock exchange. We like making financial references. So of course. you want to think of your team as a bond portfolio that doesn't mature for two years. So you're not using that asset or those productive players for two years. Your goal is not to assemble a starting roster. You're not going, you know, I have two quarterbacks. Now I need a running back. I have, you know, three wide receivers. Now I can't draft any more wide receivers. Your goal 
is to build as much wealth as you possibly can. Your goal is not to compete on Sundays for a year, probably two years. If the value dictates when you start your draft that you take three straight quarterbacks to start your draft because that's how the board fell, then you take three straight quarterbacks. You're looking for appreciability within your portfolio of assets. And after you take those three quarterbacks, if the next best seven picks that you have are wide receivers, all of them, then you take seven straight wide receivers. It doesn't matter what your starting lineup dictates. It has nothing to do with scoring fantasy points for the first two seasons. In fact, you might even want to purposely ignore positions to make sure that you don't score a lot of fantasy points so that you can tank for generational prospects in the coming draft classes, which we'll touch on in a few minutes. For sure. And again, a lot of people might hear the word tank and just be like, why would you ever tank? Why would you ever forfeit money in a year? Uh, you never know if you're going to get that money back. You never know if that league's going to last. In order to create a monster, you have to be going in with a willing mindset. I, if you've been in some of our live stream mock drafts, you'll know sometimes I'll go through 12 rounds and have one running back on my team because I am always of the mindset that if I'm in a startup mock or startup draft, value takes priority. And as you kind of mentioned, avoiding certain positions, I love the running back position as I'll kind of get into with one of my later points. You're already getting that inherent edge of ridding yourself of running back production. Let's just talk about it uh, on a macro level here because you kind of mentioned it, but your goal should ultimately be optimizing the value on your team. If you're already getting as much value as the rest of your league mates, except you're not getting that point production year one, maybe even year two, let's just think about it from a 2023 rookie class standpoint. And we'll get into the actual micro level, the players that we're talking about. That 101 to 103 in 2023 is going to be a top 20, top 25 type of startup pick at worst. That 110, 109 to 112 area is going to be like a round six, round seven, round eight type of startup pick. So if you're already getting as much value as your league mates, but you're not competing year one, you're inherently getting a free extra five round value comparative to the guys that did decide to compete year one. That's the difference. Right. And the concern, obviously, like you kind of touched on is does the league last two to three years? I would say make sure you vet that before you enter the league. Yes. And you know that, you know, you have bylaws and if anybody leaves that you can find orphan uh, orphans to take over and stuff like that. So don't enter a league with a productive struggle in mind that you think is going to fold in one year. I would say don't enter a league with the contending mindset that's going to fold in one year. I'm trying to be in dynasty leagues for multiple years. For so years. don't enter any leagues that you think are destined to fail. If you if you get into a league and, you know, nothing's organized. There's no bylaws. The commissioner doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. I would say just leave that league and, and check out our discord. I'm sure there's plenty of guys in there that would love to start leagues with you guys. And obviously our Patreon is another way that you can get into leagues with us. But regardless, I would say the overall underlying theme of this point is that you don't have players. You have assets. You have guys that are going to appreciate in value at the same time. You want to tank the value of your own pick and future picks. If you possibly can, we talked about this strategy in another video, as well as how to tear a team down. We basically went from the opposite end of the spectrum where we were selling off players, maybe for what seemed like maybe 90% of the dollar, like 90 cents on the dollar. But the inherent upside that you get with selling that piece is that you also rid your team of that production. Yes, no, exactly. Your goal to should be, if you are in a productive struggle, if you are in a rebuild, you don't want that point production. You want to increase the value of your own pick. You want to lower your max points for it. So having, you know, dead production on a team, A, is not going to net you the liquidity because you're just holding assets that you really shouldn't have on your team. And B, 
you are inherently putting your team higher in the standings by having those assets on your team. I actually tweeted this out out of the core. I could pull it up or whatever, but uh, basically uh, there's like a, a theme that some people seem to have that any running back on your team, like you can, you can rebuild around a running back. If they're young enough, you can rebuild around a running back. If you are no, if you know, you are going into the mindset that you're going to rebuild, there's no such thing as rebuilding around a running back in dynasty. You either flip that into a receiver, you flip that into a quarterback, you flip that into draft capital, whatever. That running back's production shouldn't be on your team if your goal is to tank. Yeah, especially considering that running back, will, if he's great, if it's Jonathan Taylor, for example, because he's a very young running back and people might think that they can build around him, he's going to put up very significant production yes. to the point that he's going to make your pick worse. And he has a lot of value. So if you can transition Jonathan Taylor into two first-round picks and a young wide receiver – then not only do you get Jonathan Taylor off your team and that rids yourself of 25 points per game because he's a stud and he's going to put up that much production, it also gives you two more assets to use in the future that are also going to inherently not put up any point production for your team to make your own pick worse. So um, that's exactly kind of what we're looking at when it comes to building a portfolio. We do we are going to get a little bit more into the running back position specifically yeah. in a couple of minutes, but let's get to rule number three, which is something that me and Danny both are are fucking freaks in the in the uh, sleeper DMs, but trade down as much as humanly possible. If you are rebuilding, if your goal is to rebuild, build a war chest, build a a monster of a team, you need a absolute war chest of future draft capital. If you come out of the first ten rounds with only five players, but you have you know five, six, seven first round picks, you're on the right track. That's exactly how you should be building it in the first five, you know, or first 10 rounds or so, if you get a couple foundational players and then a bunch of draft capital, that is the goal. And when you're actually doing this in practice, let's say you're on the clock, you pick that, you know, the 108 or something like that. Number one, you want to be cognizant of who is on the board, right? You might see that Lamar Jackson has slipped or Kyler Murray has slipped or, you know, player X, Kyle Pitts in the tight end premium has slipped. Where the tier breaks are at important positions, especially, is you is how you can use that to capitalize on your league mates. Some of your league mates might be, you know, overly obsessed with production, right? They might look and see that they got, you know, let's say Josh Allen one overall, and they're like, I want to pair Josh Allen with Lamar Jackson. I think that would be awesome. I'm going to trade my future first round pick, my second round uh, startup pick, and then maybe my future second round pick, or maybe even my 2024 first round pick to make sure that I get some of these studs on my roster. And that is how you can basically capitalize on your league mates maybe being obsessed with production versus value. Exactly. And uh, you, you kind of mentioned it too, but um, build a war, sh- a war chest. You want to build as much capital, as much appreciability as possible. And you kind of mentioned it too. The number one question that I, I always get in the DMs is you always talk about trading down. You always talk about, you know, getting appreciability, getting liquidity over everything else in the startup. How can I, you know, efficiently trade down to collect this capital? And my biggest answer to that is, Adiko underscore FF provides some very, very good ADP. Kind of look at the ADP, find pockets of players, and attribute those pick values to player names. So, for example, say, as, as you can imagine, you're on the clock at 107, and, you know, Joe Burrow's the, the next quarterback on the board, and you know that there's people in your league that would really, really covet a guy like Joe Burrow. Okay. If you had Joe Burrow on your team, what's the – you know, what's the threshold where you would feel comfortable with trading them off your team and base your offer to them around that. So if they want to trade up, you know, let's just say you value Burrow as, let's just say Jalen Hurts and two ones. I don't know, just a random freaking question. Or, you know, Trevor Lawrence and two ones or whatever player and future capital you want to attribute there. 
start from that basis because there are going to be people in your league that view Joe Burrow as, you know, a generational type of asset, a guy that's going to be a stud quarterback for the next 10 years and are going to be willing to pay up to your demands, especially when you're in a startup, especially when people have that fear of missing out. They want that player. They don't really think about the cost on head. That's when you can capitalize. That's when you can gain value. Right. And the opposite point, as I talked about, one of the rules that I talked about in the contenders video was don't trade away all your future draft capital. But, you know, unless they watch that video, they're probably going to be wanting to do that if they're trying to contend. They'll be like, hey, I'm okay giving up my third round startup pick, my my first rounder in 2023 and in 2024 to secure Joe Burrow. And like you said, that could be Trevor Lawrence and two first round picks. And uh, that could be enough for you to move off of a guy like Joe Burrow, who might be there at the 107 or, you know, Sean Watson or Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, whatever player that you covet at that area of the draft. And the other thing that I want to stress with trading down as much as humanly possible is obviously this comes, goes without saying, but when you're on the clock, say that you're fielding offers in all chat on sleeper, right? You go out there and you go fielding offers for this pick at all. So everybody sees it, but also don't just do that. You also need to personally send offers out. So if you know, uh, let's say, for example, this would probably never happen because Danny's never looking to trade up to win now, but let's say I'm on the board at 211 and I have picked, let's say Kyle Pitts in the first round. Or actually, I guess if I'm on the board at 211, I probably picked uh, a quarterback. But yeah, let's say I took Justin Herbert 102 or something like that. I'm on the board at 211. I want to rebuild. I'm looking to go for a productive struggle. I have a young quarterback in Justin Herbert. He's under 25 years old. I see that CeeDee Lamb has fallen. CeeDee Lamb typically goes early to mid second, uh, second round. Danny is a Cowboys fan. He loves CeeDee Lamb. I know that maybe Danny would be willing to overpay for him because I did my market research ahead of time. So I look and I go, hey, Danny, I will give you, you know, CeeDee Lamb for your fourth round startup pick in your 2023 first. So then I move down from CD lamb to a pocket of like DK Metcalf, uh, Drake London, somebody like that. And that if somebody offered me Drake London and a first next year for CD lamb, I would take it. So that is basically how I established that value to Danny's point about how to use ADP to your advantage. And your goal basically is to then trust your drafting ability a year from now to know that you can get a great player in the rookie draft. And I'm glad you worded it like that too, because for somebody, you know, wanting to trade up, they might not make that association right away. They might just think, oh, cool. I get to go up, get my wide receiver three at the 211, and all it's going to cost is, you know, two rounds later of a startup pick and a 2023 first. More than fine with going up and getting my guy. But when you actually attribute the fact that maybe that fourth round pick nets you, you know, a Drake London type, maybe that fourth round pick nets you maybe like a Zach Wilson type, and you're getting a 2023 first, which, as we know, are dynasty gold at this point. Because you attributed those picks to name value, you're already getting an edge over the league mates that actually don't do that, that actually just look at those picks as, you know, exact picks rather than players. Right. And inherently, the person that traded their pick away is automatically going to assume that that pick is late, too. They're going to think it's 110, 111, or 112. And it could be. They have, you know, football is football, man. Shit happens. Players get injured. They could have the 105 next year, right? They could have the 106, the 107 next year. And suddenly we're talking about a different tier of prospect, even in a class as loaded as next year's class. So that is always why I talked about in the last video, why you don't want to trade your first round pick away is because you don't know where that pick is going to end being. You don't know how that pick is going to materialize. And you know that at that point in the startup, your pick is worth the least it's ever going to be worth. It's going to accumulate value throughout the season, throughout the off season, especially once we get into you know the combine and you know pro days and all that stuff. This time next year, we're going to have some serious, serious uh, value on these 2023 firsts. And we've known this for a couple of years now. Yeah, no, exactly. So overall, uh, just recognize that 
capital should always be your number one priority, getting capital, trading down. Uh, I would say uh, another thing too, like obviously say if somebody's not willing to give up their first in a deal, try to get as many picks as possible within the first seven rounds. So I feel like after round seven is about the time where you're not going to be able to get a 2023 first straight up. So if somebody's saying, oh, I don't know if I want to give up my 2023 first to make that move, just say, okay, no problem. I'll take your four and five for that second round pick. And then you know inherently that on the clock, that five might end up getting you a 2023 first in the move down. So understanding that relative to your whole league market, as opposed to solely the guy that you're trying to make a deal with is going to help you in the long term. Right. And an underrated part about collecting capital is the next year's first, if you're allowed to trade them. So 2024 first, and also just second round picks too, because second round picks, they're nothing. People throw those away in startups like Like they ain't shit, but second round players, man, they can make a big impact to your team. You could have gotten, you know, T Higgins, Michael Pittman in, in loaded classes like 2020, which we expect to see in 2023, you can get very, very, very solid prospects in the second round, especially if that pick ends up being anywhere early. Yeah, no, it, exactly. And I'm kind of glad you mentioned that because uh, a lot of times you'll just see in startups where somebody wants to move up like five picks, they'll be like, oh, sh- sure, take my 2024 second. Like for five picks. So you're basically like moving within the tier of players that you're already considering and then just accumulating a free pick. So when you're in a productive struggle, when you're in a rebuilding situation, getting those little cheap deals that, you know, are savvy type of veteran dynasty moves are going to be the, the the building blocks of your team long term. Right. And I think Danny, I can, you can send me this or whatever the team that you drafted in the Mickey Mouse league. I can kind of show how you constructed that team. Some of the players that you took earlier, that'll be on the screen right now. And then also the war chest of picks that Danny has in that league, because even these are sharper players that you were playing with, right? These guys make content they're you know, in tune with the dynasty space and they were still willing to give up their first round picks in a startup. So those of you guys that are playing with your buddies, your redraft buddies that have never played in a dynasty league, I'm sure they're going to be even easier to take advantage of. Uh, as far as their uh, their 2023 and 2024 capital is concerned. So let's move off of the macro-based factors. Let's yeah. talk specifically micro-based. So what we mean by this is, you know, specific player analysis and positional, you know, awareness and, and draft classes and stuff like that. So rule number four, Danny's foaming at the mouth I'm about <laughs> to talk about this, but I'll let you take it away with uh, with rule number four. Yeah, if you guys have made it so far, 21 minutes in the video, comment down below, Danny hates running backs because my point is going to be running backs are should be considered the final piece of your dynasty team. Running backs add unneeded volatility and production, especially once you are committed to your rebuild. Think of it again. I, I talked about it a couple of videos ago, but think of it as a cars versus property thing. You know, cars are going to get you there fast. Cars are going to get you there fun. It's going to be a, an enjoyable ride. You're going to have a lot of fun doing it, but you inherently know Say you paid 100000 for that car. As soon as it leaves the lot, it's losing value. Think of the running back position like that. As soon as it goes, you know, an injury or one season in or they hit the 24, 25 mark in age, their value is going to go down. So draft accordingly and apply your assets accordingly. So if we're looking at a situation where um, you, you're stuck on the clock and you're in a productive struggle and you're eyeing, you know, let's just say 210. Christian McCaffrey falls to you and you really, really like Christian McCaffrey. You really like the potential, the asset that he represents, but AJ Brown or CD lamb staring you on the fucking board. Take the young wide receiver because the appreciability post startup is going to be tremendous. I'll tell you what you try to offer uh, Christian McCaffrey for AJ Brown or CD lamb straight up right after the startup. It's getting auto declined, auto declined. So if we're if we already know right off the bat that taking some of these volatile running backs in a startup 
will result in their value going down right after the startup, a la car coming right off the lot after you buy it. Don't invest into those type of investments. And the way we're kind of looking at it, again, this is a lot more micro level. And we're going to talk about the 2023 and 2024 class uh, soon as well. But your main goal should be to strip down your running back court and build them in these upcoming drafts. The reason why we think this is super viable is because of the oncoming running back talent in these next couple of classes. We may be looking at a 2017, 2020 type of situation where a lot of the projectable young starting quality running back talent is going to be shown through the league with the 2023 and 2024 draft classes. You could see up to half of the league in the NFL choose to go for these cheap, cost-effective replacements in the NFL draft instead of paying the current vets already on their team. We could be looking at up to you know, 15, 16 type of jobs being taken over within the next two years. Right. And similar to what you said, 2017, you know, 2020, we saw guys like DeMarco Murray. We saw Adrian Peterson. We saw the LaShawn McCoy, like that tier of running back that had been dominant for five, six years, just like we're seeing with Nick Chubb and you know Alvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook and some of these Derrick Henry, some of the guys, Christian McCaffrey that have been in the league and been dominant for a couple of years. We could see that shift as early as next season around the uh, right after the NFL draft going into the 2023 season. I think I want to restate the point that you made. Driving the, the car off the lot is exactly like draft drafting a running back because you we're not playing any games yet. Like you just drafted this guy, the startup, the your league mates can see the draft board. They know where he was drafted and who he was drafted over, yet you're still losing value. It doesn't even make a difference whether you're playing a game or not, or whether you know OTA practice reports or anything. Nothing is factoring into it outside of the fact that they just simply lose value after the startup. Yeah, and it's pretty crazy because, I mean, it's almost like an apples for apples type of comparison. Your league mates, not, not to mention, let's just talk about the fact that the running back position as a whole, buying running backs in the offseason for a lot of people is a scary proposition. Until you see them on the field, until you see them healthy, until you see them getting that full workload, there's way, way more risk than just taking a talented receiver or taking a young appreciating quarterback. So if we know that, why are we selecting them with premium capital, especially volatile pieces? I mean, we talked about in the overvalued video, guys like Dalvin Cook taking the fifth round of your startup. Like, what are we doing? You know, by the time that that, that the offseason kicks in, as soon as you drop that running back, you can't get a 2023 first straight up for Dalvin Cook. So you're investing a top five round startup picking him. Yeah, exactly. I think the other, I mean, we didn't even mention this. I think I thought it kind of goes without saying too, but just the positional longevity of a quarterback, yes. wide receiver or tight end versus a running back is a big difference. Even if you're a superstar, right? Even if you're a superstar running back like Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley or, you know, some of the dynasty assets that we were drafting very highly a couple of years ago. I mean, we're two, three years later and they've already lost quite a bit of value. And yeah, they gave you some very productive years in some cases, but, um, you know, you know who didn't lose value? Patrick Mahomes. You know who didn't lose value? You know, Josh Allen. Like the, these guys will be very valuable. And that kind of transitions right into rule number five, which is when you're rebuilding, when you're building a productive struggle, which we believe, again, going back to the title of this video, is the most optimal strategy in startups this offseason. And we'll get to why in a second. Build your team around foundational quarterbacks, wide receivers, and maybe a tight end. So this concept, like I said, it's not really that complicated. These positions just have more long-term value, more long-term appeal than a running back, for example. And, and the easiest example is to compare two apples to apples from the same draft class, same age. 2017 draft class, Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson were picked in that class, right? They're both 26 years old, about to turn 27. Nick Chubb and Alvin Kamara. Uh, Nick Chubb was actually picked in 2018. Alvin Kamara was picked in 2017. 
Those guys are both about 26 years old as well. The longevity factor of those quarterbacks is going to by a long shot, outlast those running backs. Those running backs might only have one, two, maybe three years left on the, you know, on the tread left. Those quarterbacks will probably be just entering their primes or just closing out their primes five, six, seven years from now. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Okay. All those players that you've mentioned, Mahomes, Watson, Chubb, Kamara, have all been, you know, star to superstar level quality assets in fantasy. They're all the same age, and yet two of those guys are top 10 startup picks, and the other two are going in round five, six range. That's going to happen because of the running back position. So you mentioned build your team around foundational quarterbacks, wide receivers, and the tight end. Exactly, because you know if you're getting a superstar level quarterback, it's much more likely he holds or appreciates his value rather than investing in that running back. Look, I love watching Jonathan Taylor play football. I think he's a fucking fantastic running back, you know, league winning type of player. And in redraft, I am more than fine with taking him, you know, first, second, third, whatever the fuck you want to invest in him in redraft. But in dynasty, there is no shot. I am taking him over a Kyler Murray over a Lamar Jackson. And we talked about it in the dynasty values and bust video. And we got some, you know, trash back on it. Oh, what do you mean? You're not going to take Jonathan Taylor to the 10th pick, but his ADP is fourth overall. You're taking them over elite level super flex assets that are going to hold their value for five, seven, ten type of years. Jonathan Taylor, if he has an RB6 season next year, is going to be a two look a, a mid-second round startup pick. If you know that coming in, if you know, you know, a median range of outcome could result in him losing that much value comparative to all the other quarterbacks where if Kyler Murray was the quarterback five or six next year, he is still a top 10 super flex pick. Why would you give yourself or expose yourself to more risk than needed? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's basically all it comes down to. It is. And the other thing that kind of wraps in these last two rules together is the cheapest that you're ever going to get elite running back production is in the rookie draft. So if you build your team around foundational quarterbacks, let's say you go, you know, Dak Prescott and, or let's go even younger. Let's go uh, Lamar Jackson, Trey Lance, right? We get those two guys to start off our draft. We have foundational quarterbacks at wide receiver. We fill it out with, you know, all the, the classic names we Higgins. got, you know, Drake London, Elijah Moore, T Higgins, CD lamb types, all filling out our wide receiver core. Maybe we pick up a young tight end along the way as well. And come our rookie draft, we have five, six, seven first round picks in 2023. We can fill out our running back core with B. John Robinson, with Jameer Gibbs, with Sean Tucker, with, you know, in 2024, Travion Henderson, Braylon Allen, all these guys that will eventually, and when you want to turn that switch to Danny's point, they are the final piece of your contending roster. So once you've built that monster around those quarterbacks, those wide receivers, maybe a tight end, if you have Kyle Pitts or whatever, then you make that switch once you have those running backs from your rookie picks. Exactly. So uh, that's a perfect transition into rule number six and that the 2023 and 2024 first should be your goal. Heck, we can even group seconds into this as well, given the projectable depth, the projectable stud talent available in these classes. But you kind of mentioned if you structure your team around, you know, stud quarterbacks, elite wide receivers, and ultimately, you know, super fragile, super thin at running back. Some of the running back prospects coming in have legitimate chances at not only like for Bijan's standpoint, breaking uh, fantasy football, but at least being, you know, top 15 type of dynasty running backs as soon as they get drafted. I mean, you mentioned ga- names like Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, Sean Tucker, Zach Evans in 2023. 2024, you can look at guys like Travion Henderson, Braylon Allen, Will Shipley, Donovan Edwards. Absolutely loaded classes at the running back position. And 
if you're scared, oh, well, if the, if these classes are, you know, so heavy on running back, like what are we going to do if we don't have like a top four pick? Well, the thing is, is that the running backs are not the only great players in these upcoming class classes. Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Tyler Van Dyke, Caleb Williams, Quinn Ewers, a quarterback, wide receivers and tight ends. You got like JSN, Addison, uh, Michael Mayer, Brock Bowers, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., Xavier Worthy. So many talented names that, I mean, 2023 alone, like Sean Tucker, Sean Tucker could probably be a late first round pick because of the wide receiver talent, because of the quarterback talent ahead of him. And Sean Tucker, if he was in a startup right now, would probably be a, you know, what, round five, round six pick at worst. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's why you're aiming for these classes, right? We say in the title of this video, the reason this is the most optimal strategy is the strength of these classes because they are strong at running back and at quarterback, which this previous draft class, 2022, was not strong at. So if we were talking about this video, you know, a year ago, we might not have said this was the most optimal strategy. 2023 picks definitely would have been optimal, but we went, we might not have said, hey, load up on 2022 picks because we know that, and we knew this going into the season, that Brees Hall was pretty much going to be the, the cream of the crop at running back. And yeah. Kenneth Walker kind of came out of nowhere, which was, you know, encouraging, but we knew about Isaiah Spiller and Brees Hall, and that was pretty much it. Exactly. So uh, if we're looking at it, like these upcoming draft classes give you such a ability where if you can get into a one-year productive struggle if you can get into that one-year uh progressive struggle progressive rebuild if you will these next two upcoming draft classes can legitimately turn your team into a monster in your league so for the teams that drafted win now guess what especially let's talk about the underrated factor if you acquired somebody's 2023 and 2024 first round pick their team if they drafted you know old if they drafted you know volatile may not be the same team it looks post-startup as it does in 2023. So maybe that pick that you expected and you slated or that person themselves slated to be in that 109 to 112 range, as Corey kind of said, what if it's, you know, the 104? What if it's the 106? Like you always have that inherent ability to potentially increase the value of that pick, especially if somebody goes with that preconceived mindset that it's going to be late. There's no downside risk to you. If somebody's valuing their own pick as the 110 to 112 and you're acquiring it, like, who knows? Shit happens in fucking fantasy football. We can't predict every single thing that happens. So if that, you know, let's just say they have their team based around Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor gets hurt this year. That pick might end up being, you know, 104, 105, as I kind of said. Like, you always have that type of ability, that type of uh, appreciability to occur if somebody's going with an ignorant type of mindset. Yeah, and real quick, before we get out of here, I think that was enough, you know, mumbo-jumbo. Yeah. Uh, real quick, let's show them two examples of what we're talking about right now. This is a team, and I'll, I'll let you show your Mickey Mouse League in a second, but yeah. this is a team that I built in uh, our Bitcoin League. Now, I didn't actually draft this team in the startup, but I did transition it away, and I, I broke down all the moves that I made in the video titled How to Rebuild, I believe it was called. And uh, I broke down all the trades that I made. But if you come out of the startup looking with a team similar to this, this is exactly the path that you want to be on. So this year, I was able to transition a number of Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Keenan Allen, Stephon Diggs, older assets into younger players and draft picks. And this is the baseline of my team right now. I'm looking for a one-year tank rebuild in 2023. And who knows, maybe by you know 2023 season, I might be ready to compete right away. My team is built around foundational quarterbacks and wide receivers. I have two of the top eight dynasty quarterbacks, Justin Herbert and Deshaun Watson. I also have Justin Jefferson, who is the dynasty wide receiver one or two, depending on who you ask. I have Drake London, Marquise Brown, Sky Moore, and then a number of other, you know, like 
you know, middling type of guys like Russell Gage and, you know, guys that I potentially flip midseason. I also picked up, you know, Wandell Robinson, David Bell later in the rookie draft this year as well. And I have first round picks next year and I have two second round picks. So I have the ability to replenish my running back core in the 2023 class and also probably still add some wide receiver talent, maybe a third quarterback or something like that as well. Yeah, uh, and I mean, it's a similar situation to me. You guys can see that team on the screen as well. But I have like, you know, my main building block type of pieces this year. Again, not you're going to look at this team and think, oh, well, like this is, you know, a team that's not going to put up production. But that's exactly what I want. I have my main building block pieces of, you know, your CeeDee Lamb, your Jameson Williams, you know, Pat Fryermuth um, in, in the tight end premium, Michael Gallup, Jahan Dotson, with a couple, you know, volatile yet potentially value appreciability type of quarterbacks with Jimmy G and Baker Mayfield. As soon as Jimmy G and Baker Mayfield are announced starters in this NFL, I'm going to be able to flip them for 20, 23 seconds plus, which I got them for way cheaper than that in the startup. You're talking about like 12th, 13th plus round startup picks that I'm going to be flipping for profit as soon as they get announced. So those are the type of pieces you should be targeting. Those pieces that maybe are gross to a lot of people right now, but genuinely have a very good case to appreciate in value by the time the start uh, season starts, by the time they're put, putting up production. So those are like, you know, my main building blocks at quarterback. And then, I mean, as you know, with every Danny team, we have to go straight to the picks. As soon as you see the team and you, as soon as you see, you know, the young appreciability, go to the picks because I do have six first rounders, four second rounders and two thirds in 2023. And then in 2024, I have another five first rounders, four second rounders. So I just absolutely try to dominate the next two draft classes. I already have, you know, a couple really, really nice young building blocks this year with still the inherent edge where I can hit on my draft ca uh, capital in the next couple of years. I can flip them for profit as soon as we get closer to the draft. I have a lot of liquidity, a lot of flexibility to be able to maneuver this thing into a contender as soon as I buy my, or as soon as I see my team as ready to make that next step. Right. And that's kind of like a bonus tip of how to handle your rebuilder after the startup, right? Because um, I posted a video uh, the other day or yesterday, I think when you guys are seeing this about top 10, you know, late round values. And when you draft a dynasty rebuilder, that doesn't mean that, you know, once you acquire all your draft picks and you have your players, you just sit and do nothing and let your, you know, team tank and you let your, uh, your picks, you know, be spent once the rookie draft comes along. No, you, if you have any random pieces on your team that end up going off during the season, like for example, I have Marvin Jones on my team, right? Marvin Jones doesn't fit the bill of my team. I have a young team, but if Marvin Jones has a 13 target game in week four, when Christian Kirk goes down with an injury and Trevor Lawrence maybe takes the next step forward, then I can sell Marvin Jones for at minimum a 2023 third, right? And that's valuable to me as a young, a uh, young team. I got, I got Marvin Jones probably in like the 25th round of the startup. And same goes for some of the other guys that I mentioned, uh, you know, Russell Gage, if he's a wide receiver, two, three type in fantasy, maybe I can get a second rounder out of him. Maybe I can use him in a package with one of my other wide receivers and tear up. Well, another one that, that I kind of like too is, uh, for example, I mean, in one of my uh, recent startups in the Mickey Mouse League, you guys will see, but I, I have Tim Patrick on my team. I didn't draft Tim Patrick. Somebody, for whatever reason, dropped him post startup, despite spending, you know, a 20th round startup pick, which I mean, isn't a crazy investment, but I mean, Tim Patrick, who knows what if the Broncos start playing more 11 personnel with Russell Wilson in town and, uh, you know, he's a, a viable six, seven, eight target per game type of player. And somebody's willing to throw me a second round pick. That's something I got for free. That's something I got for 15 fab dollars. Like those are little savvy moves that you can make to just keep acquiring picks, 
keep acquiring capital for that war chest. Obviously, it's gonna ha- not going to happen from this p- specific micro level in every single league, but there are going to be some random values where somebody gets fed up or somebody gets hurt or whatever, and somebody drops potentially a player that can appreciate in value, and you can go in, scoop in value when needed. So uh, I absolutely love that move. I think, you know, Tim Patrick shows some sign. I'm putting him right on the block because I don't need that production. Yeah. So uh, I hope this helped you guys out. If you guys are looking to do a productive struggle again, we went, we pretty much, I think we covered all the bases here, how to, you know, draft the team based on the macro level stuff, micro level stuff, even some in season management and uh, some of the things you should be looking to do post startup. So if you guys did enjoy this video at any point, hit the like button, comment any of your thoughts down below, any questions that you have, we will answer. We get to every comment that we get asked pretty much, unless it's in season, it's all the start sit stuff for the most part. We get to pretty much every comment. So if you have one, leave it down below. Subscribe to the channel if you are new as well. Hit the notification bell because we post videos, you know, almost daily, uh, if not, you know, semi-daily. We're going to have a Dynasty Decisions doubleheader coming at you this week. So if you guys are patrons and you want to get questions in for that, you guys have first dibs. If you guys want other questions done, uh, Twitter and Discord is how you do that. Uh, We do have a pretty long queue at the moment, but uh, we'll definitely get you in for future Dynasty Decisions episodes. Make sure to check out our sponsors, underdogfantasy.com as well. Promo code FSE at sign up and first deposit will get you 100% match back on whatever you put in. Best Ball Mania 3 is going fast and furious right now. You can take advantage of a lot of the values that I'm seeing right now in Ontario. Me and Danny are biting our nails, smacking ourselves in the face that we can't actually be doing these drafts from our houses. We got to uh, you know travel across the border to be able to get these drafts done, but uh, nonetheless, you guys can take advantage of Underdog Fantasy if you're in a state that allows it. So promo code FSE at sign up and first deposit. And you'll also get, as a thank you for using our code, our Dynasty Rankings Manifesto totally for free. Or you can sign up on Patreon to get our Dynasty Rankings Manifesto as well. So that being said, peace out, guys. We'll talk to you soon.